Well, I want to welcome you again to Cross Community Church. We're grateful that you've chosen to come to gather together to worship Jesus Christ, our Lord, uh, as a body. This is a corporate gathering of believers. This is not uh, church. Uh, we are the church. The people gathered here are the church of Jesus Christ. We gather here uh, about once a week. Sometimes we gather on Wednesdays, uh, and it's to encourage one another. It's to hear the preaching of the Word. It's to corporately worship Jesus Christ, who has saved us from our sins. If you're here and you're not a believer in Jesus Christ, we're truly glad that you've joined us for this time. And I just want to say on the front end, our mission today, uh, and this is true of you if you're a believer and it's true for you if you're an unbeliever, our hope for you today is that today, more than ever in your life, you will take another step with Jesus Christ. Our mission is to lead all people to become fully devoted disciples of Jesus Christ, and we're not going to stop until we're all there, right? So we're going to continue to pursue Jesus Christ. Uh, we do this individually, but we do that as we gather together today. Now, what I want to do today is to talk to you about the one investment that's better than any other investment that you will ever make in your entire life. Now, I don't know if you heard, uh, but recently uh, GameStop did some things. Now, some of you out there, uh, you're kind of groaning, you're kind of hurting, and others of you might be celebrating, but uh, basically there was a tip, there was a, a, an encouragement on a, a Reddit forum that everyone should buy GameStop GameStop stock. You should invest in GameStop. And, and really, I heard about this fairly early on. And so uh, it's kind of exciting news to get the tip early on that you could buy GameStop and it was going to go up really, really high. And so I'm reading these things. I'm getting kind of excited about what's there. I look into it. And uh, if you would have bought the stock just a few weeks ago, you could have realized returns of 120 to 130 times what was invested. There was a, a young man named Arzel Rodriguez who sold what was initially a $28,000 investment. He sold it at the peak for $3.8 million. Now, those are the kind of numbers I like, right? Those are the kinds of investments I would love to be able to get into. I wish I could uh, celebrate with you today and be like, hey, I'm buying lunch because things went really well for me. But if you were to go look at my bank accounts today, you're going to see that over the last quarter, I made 37 cents in interest on my savings account. I, I did not invest in GameStop and I did not realize those ridiculous returns. Now, what I'm not going to do today is tell you you should be a day trader and you should go do speculative investing. But what I do think is wise, the thing, the lesson that we can take from this, from what happened with Arzal Rodriguez and myself, is that it really does matter what you invest in. Like what you invest your time, your talents, your treasure into really does matter. And so I would think that if, if you're like me as an investor, you want to invest your, your time, talents, treasure, whatever it is, into the things that are going to produce the greatest possible return on your investment. So here is the central idea for all that I'm going to tell you this morning. And as your pastor, if this was my last Sunday to ever stand here in front of you, if I could tell you no other thing. I want you to know this, that the greatest investment you will ever make in your entire life, the greatest gain that you will ever see in your entire life is found in knowing Christ Jesus the Lord. Like above every other thing, it's in knowing Christ Jesus the Lord. Now, we live in a world that tells that tell us that all sorts of things matter. 
Like your, your success matters, your career matters, your family matters. Lots of things matter, right? But the single greatest investment you will ever make is investing in knowing Christ Jesus, the Lord. In the same way that uh, I missed out on the GameStop frenzy. Many people are going to go through their lives working hard, giving themselves to things that will give nothing back in return. Last week, we saw that example in the Apostle Paul in Philippians chapter 3. He's recounted his life in Judaism. He was born into it, right? He was a Jew uh, by birth, but he didn't stop there. He really invested in it. Uh, he was trained up in it. He was schooled under a man named Gamaliel. This is like the Ivy League of growing as a good Jew. And so Paul was well-trained in Judaism. He probably could have quoted the first five books of the Old Testament. He excelled as a Pharisee. As a matter of fact, he said um, that I actually outpaced all the rest of my peers. Paul was like, if anyone was a good Jew, I was a good Jew. But then Paul had an experience. We read about it in Acts chapter 9. He's, he's gone to the synagogues and he's headed toward Damascus and he's going to persecute believers who aren't quite living up to his Jewish standard of what it means to follow after God. And he's going to uh, bring these people back, throw them into prison. But there on the road to Damascus, Paul, he's making his way. It says a bright light shone, and we're not told like exactly how that happened. I'm, glad, I'm guessing it wasn't like a little blip, a little uh, bit of lightning, because Paul hits his knees, and immediately he says, Who are you, Lord? Now, I want you to think about the extent of that statement. Here is a man who's devoted his entire life to knowing God. He was born a Jew raised a Jew, trained up as a Jew. Now he was a teacher of the Jews. As a matter of fact, anyone in his culture would have looked at him and said, if anyone is killing it, if anybody knows God, it must be Paul. Man, look at his life. Look at the way that he's living. And yet he finds himself there on his knees, having given him his entire life to something, seeking to know God, to find himself now asking, okay, I know that you're God. I've heard your voice. I've seen what you've done. I'm here on my knees. Now, who are you, Lord? And the voice responds and answers him. I'm Jesus Christ, whom you've been persecuting. Now, this had to be a, quite a moment for Paul, certainly coming to faith in, in Christ there. Uh, he was blinded, uh, but he actually began to see for the first time. His whole life shifted. And as an adult man, Paul realizes that everything he's been seeking after, everything he's been giving his life to, was for nothing. That's where we left last week in Philippians chapter 3, when Paul says, whatever things were gained to me. The things that people would have looked at in me and thought, man, he's got it together. He's living it right. He's doing the right things. Man, if anyone's pursuing God, it's Paul. He says, whatever things were gained to me. Those things I have counted as loss for the sake of Christ. Now, most of us weren't raised up in Judaism. Um, have, probably don't know the first five books of the Old Testament by heart. If you do, uh, awesome. Like, go get it, right? Like, that's wonderful. But most of us weren't raised up in Judaism. But there are things that we have trusted in. Matter of fact, every one of us has a story, um, and our life speaks for us of the things that we have pursued in our life. 
the investments that we've made, the things that we've chased after. As a matter of fact, every one of us kind of has a personal vision of what success looks like in your life. And so maybe for you, you're like, hey, success for me looks like uh, growing up, going to college, uh, finding a spouse, having a couple of kids, living well, having plenty of money for retirement. Maybe that's your vision of success. Maybe for you, it's I don't want to get married. I just want to go and live and travel and experience the world like that's a vision of success. Um, Again, I don't know what yours... uh, specific vision for success would look like, uh, but we all have one. Now, Paul is just pointing to his, his previous pursuit, the thing that he thought, hey, this is what gain looks like in my life. As an adult man, having seen who Jesus was for the first time, whatever things were gain, I now count those things as loss for the sake of Christ. Then he goes a step further, and this is a step we should take with Paul. He says, more than that, a step beyond just looking at my life in Judaism, I count all things to be lost in view of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. Can I just repeat my admonition to you? The greatest gain in all of life is knowing Christ Jesus the Lord. The greatest investment you will ever make, the the best profit you're ever going to realize, the most beneficial thing in all of your life is knowing Christ Jesus the Lord. Paul would say, not that other things aren't important. That's not what Paul is saying here. He's not saying, hey, you know, like my, my heritage, my family, the things that I pursue, not that they have no importance. It's just by comparison. They're like loss compared to Christ. It's about like my 37 cents in quarterly interest I made compared to the huge gains that other people made when they invested in GameStop. Paul's like, listen, there's a lot of things out there. There's a lot of places you could spend and invest your time, a lot of things you can pursue, a lot of things that you can trust in. But those things I've counted as loss in light of the extraordinary value that I've found in Jesus, like far above any other thing. It is knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. Paul's like, if you think it's awesome, I've done it. Man, if people were going to point to anything and say, hey, if I could just get that, Paul's like, I've lived it. He was probably a wealthy man. He was a man of notoriety. He was a scholar in his own right. He's like, listen, it's all that stuff. And it pales in comparison to knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. Now, I've told you that the greatest investment you'll ever make in your life, the greatest gain you'll ever realize is in knowing Christ Jesus, the Lord. But what is it? What is this surpassing value? What, what are the things that we get when we come to faith in Jesus Christ I want to walk through those, just three things with you here, uh, three benefits that we get in Christ Jesus. The first is this, it's it's that of justification. I know I'm about to give you three big, nerdy biblical words, so just hang with me. The first is justification. Um, Basically, this means to be declared righteous. So Paul had spent his whole life trying to be justified under the law. He was a good Pharisee. He lived according to the law. He knew it forwards and backwards, and he lived it pretty well. He offered the right sacrifices, the drink offerings, the wave offerings, all the things that you were supposed to do. Paul did it. But the problem was is that he found his own righteousness to be inadequate. As good as he was, he wasn't good enough. 
So what he says here in verse 9, I've suffered the loss of all things and count them but rubbish so that I may gain Christ. In verse 9 he says, and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own derived from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness which comes from God on the basis of faith. Let me, let me put it to you this way. If you want to know um, what you trust in for your justification, let me ask you this question. If you stood before God today, you're up in heaven, big moment, right? God's there. And he asks you the question, hey, why, why should I let you into heaven? The way that you answer that question probably will tell us what you're trusting in for justification. Like, what, you're, what, what, what reason would you give that God should let you into heaven? Like, that's why you think I'm, I'm justified in thinking that I should get to be with God and in heaven. So for many of us, uh, you would say, hey, I've, you know what? God, I've been a pretty good person. Man, I gave some money to people. There was this season where there was this epic snowstorm and there were people without heat and I like shared blankets and I, I let them come in. God, I, I've done some pretty good things in my life. Help the poor, sponsored a child with compassion. God, I've, I've been pretty good. The only problem with that is that we haven't been good enough. The standard God's standard, who God is, is perfection. He's perfect in all of his ways. God is so holy and righteous and just that he can't have fellowship with sinners. If you sinned even once, you fall short of the glory of God. The Bible tells us, if you're not ready to admit this to yourself, I'm going to admit it for you, you have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So the reasons that we might give to justify us before God, hey God, I've been pretty good. I just want to warn you as your pastor, you haven't been good enough. Maybe you would say, well, maybe I haven't been good enough, and maybe my good has outweighed the bad in my life, or, or I cared about the climate, I voted for the right party. God, here's all these reasons why I should be justified. And I just wanted to say to you that every one of those reasons falls short of the glory of God. Jesus would say, hey, be perfect as I'm perfect. You got to be better than Paul. You got to be better than you. And so Paul, the reason he celebrates knowing Christ Jesus the Lord above every other thing is that he found a righteousness in Christ, a righteousness which was by faith that he could never have gained on his own. So it's this, this process of justification by faith in Jesus Christ. Here, here's what happens. When you come to faith in Jesus Christ, you're trusting in his righteousness and his work and no longer your own. So many of us, again, we, we judge. How, how good have I been today? Like we kind of think God's on this scale. Like uh, if I've been pretty good, God loves me. He's for me. He's going to bless me. Uh, if I've been pretty bad, God must be angry and bitter. But really, that's not it at all. When we think about justification in Christ Jesus, here's what happened. You weren't good enough. There was no hope for you to ever be good enough. Your sin had separated you from God. Your sin demanded, demanded punishment. It demanded death. So God looked down at you and he looked down at me in our brokenness and in our sin. And in love, he sends his son Jesus to pay the just penalty for our sin. Jesus Christ went to the cross to die for your sin. He utters there, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And Jesus was on the cross. He was looking at you on your worst day. He saw all of your sin, your past, present, and future. 
He said, I want to die for him. And I want to die for her. So God took all of our sins, past, present, and future. He placed them on his son, Jesus. And he took the perfect life of Christ and he credited that to us. We don't find a righteousness on the basis of the law because we've already sinned, right? Our righteousness is a righteousness of faith in Jesus Christ, trusting not in our own righteousness, but in his, in his work on the cross. And so Paul's like, listen, I tried it in Judaism. Like I I lived it as well as anyone could live it. Like I've done the things that people said I should do and it still wasn't good enough. Let me tell you what I found in Jesus Christ. Let me tell you the, the surpassing worth of Jesus. Like that he gave me the one thing that I couldn't find anywhere else. Like I was destined toward an eternity separated from God and eternity in hell. And I was working really hard, as hard as anyone could work, but it wasn't good enough. You want to know why everything else is like lost compared to Christ? Because in him and him alone, we find justification by faith alone. But that's not all, y'all. You want to know the downfall of Christianity or of churches and pastors and preaching over the last 30 years is that we've told you that there's justification in Jesus Christ. And we've been like, okay, you've come to faith in Christ. Life is good. You should stop there. Listen, Jesus died that we might have life to the fullest, that we might live an abundant life, no longer enslaved to sin, but we could live victorious Christian lives. And so Paul's like, you want to know what other benefits we got in Christ Jesus? You want to know why else I count everything else as lost? In light of surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus? Yes, I have found justification in him. But he goes on in verse 10. He says, That I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his suffering being conformed to his death. Can I just tell you here today that Paul was like you and he was like me. He lived in a body that was broken and scarred by sin. Paul tried very hard to be good, but he wasn't good enough. And in the same way that our flesh longs for the things that are going to destroy us, our natural fleshly tendencies are going to lead us into slavery to sin. Like maybe you walked in here today and you're ashamed because of what you did last night. And maybe it's not just last night, but maybe it's gone on day after day after day after day after day. And that thing which you initially thought, hey, this will be fun. Hey, I'm going to enjoy this now has grabbed a hold of you and you've realized that you're not, you're not free anymore. You're enslaved to that sin. For you, maybe it's a substance. Life was difficult. You began to drink or to use drugs just to help you cope a little bit. But now, again, they've got a hold of you. Maybe for you it was sexual sin. Hey, I'm just going to dab on this a little bit. And now it has a grip on you. I want you to know that Paul would celebrate the surpassing worth of Jesus Christ, not merely because we're justified in him, but there's a second step. It's what's known as sanctification. This is where we grow in Christ's likeness, where we begin to experience the power of his resurrection in our lives. Like we should not live defeated lives as believers in Jesus. As a matter of fact, what we ought to look forward to every single day, the thing that we have before us, the abundant life, is a a life lived in the power of the Holy Spirit, which gives us victory over sin and death. So as a believer in Jesus, you do not have to give up and think, hey, I guess I guess this is just who I am. I guess I'm just going to live in sin forever. Our enemy 
came to steal, to kill, and to destroy. Jesus came that you might experience fullness of life, fullness of joy, like the most abundant life you could ever live. And that life is the one free from sin, from shame, from guilt. And so in our lives, what we ought to grow in because of the work of Jesus, like we don't meet him one day and be like, hey, I know Jesus, I came to faith in Christ and we're done. No, no, no. What we ought to do is we meet Jesus. We see his worth and we begin to follow him. And we walk through every moment of our day right alongside Jesus. Like we don't like kind of turn it on Sunday morning for an hour or for 15 minutes in the morning as we study the Bible. No, we walk with Christ through every moment of every single day, looking to him. How should we live in this moment? What does the word have to say about that? How is the Holy Spirit leading me in this moment? We begin to to live like as as Christ, right? We look to, to him and we begin to experience victory. Like God does not want to make you strong. Like I think a lot of us, when we want to be free from our sin, we're like, God, make me stronger. God, would you give me victory? Listen, what Jesus wants to do is to make you dependent. That in every single moment, you're looking to him like, hey, Jesus, apart from you, I can do nothing. Jesus, apart from you, I am weak, but in you, I am made strong. So Jesus, in this moment where I'm struggling with temptation, I'm struggling with with doubt, I'm struggling with these things, hey, would you encourage me? I know that the power of the Holy Spirit now resides in me. Can I walk in that power instead of in the weakness of my flesh? Paul's like, I want to know Jesus Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection. But then he says something that makes all of us Americans a little bit uncomfortable, right? So I want to know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings. Why would anybody say that? Why would anybody say, I want to know the fellowship of the sufferings of Christ? I don't know if you know what happened to Jesus, but he was hated by most everyone betrayed by his closest friends. They abandoned him when he was arrested. He was mocked and beaten. They spat in his face. They put a bag over his head and take turns punching him. Oh, you're a prophet. Why don't you just prophesy about who just punched you? We'll see how prophetic you really are. He's turned over to the Roman soldiers. His hands were bound around a post. They beat his back with a whip that would rip his flesh off in strips. They beat him so badly that even his own mother couldn't recognize him. He took a crown of thorns, twisted it together, placed it on his head, drove nails through his wrists and his ankles, and there he hung on the cross, gasping for breath, dying of asphyxiation. And the Apostle Paul's like, I want to know the fellowship of his sufferings. For us, it's a big question mark. Like, why would anyone want to know that? And to be honest with you, if it wasn't for the worth of knowing Christ Jesus the Lord, we would never want to suffer. There's there's two things that make suffering worth it. The first thing is that it's in the midst of suffering, in the midst of our greatest difficulties in life. You know those moments where you're on your face, like you got nothing left to give. Those moments where you're like, I I don't have any hope in me anymore. I can't go on. It is in those moments that we come to know Christ most fully. Several years ago, I had uh, 
I had an inappropriate conversation with a woman who wasn't my wife. I wasn't looking for that. I'd prayed a thousand prayers against that. And I found myself wondering, like, is my marriage going to end? Are we going to make it through this? Is this what I'm going to live through, like, the rest of my life? Is it over for me? I remember just being on my face before the Lord. And it was in that moment that I sensed the nearness. I came to know the grace and the forgiveness and the gentleness of Christ like I'd never known it before. And God restored, and God healed, and I know him better than I ever would have known him outside of those moments. There were times when we were, uh, years ago in our marriage, where there was such financial difficulty, and I remember Brittany and I being in our closet just like praying on the floor like, God, man, I can't afford to go to school anymore, and God, I can't afford like to, to even take care of our household at times. God, would you do something? And then the check would come in the mail. And I learn, like, God is my provider. It is in the greatest moments of suffering that we can see and come to know God most clearly. And Paul's like, it's worth it. Why would we want to know the fellowship of the sufferings? Because that's where we know God best. We experience him the most when we reach the end of ourselves and there's nowhere else to turn and we begin to depend upon Christ, trusting in him. The second reason Paul would say, I want to know the fellowship of the sufferings is because it's in the midst of suffering that we get to picture Christ well to the rest of the world. Like that people see us. It's where Christians stand out far beyond any other part of your testimony when the world sees you suffer well for the sake of Christ. God uses that in the lives of those who are around you as a testimony to other believers, like, this is what God can do. This is who God is. And so we do that, like, as a witness to our friends and our family. Paul would say, I wish I could be accursed for the sake of my, my friends in Judaism, that they might come to know Christ. So, yeah, power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his sufferings. This is the process of sanctification where we stop trusting in the things we used to trust in, and instead we begin to trust in Christ even more. The third thing here. It's that big, ugly word known as glorification. I've given you three super nerdy words. They encompass a lot, though. So glorification, this is the time where our bodies are going to be made new. This is when we're going to be with Christ in heaven, and our bodies will no longer be the weak, scarred by sin, uh, given to struggle, no, no more crying, no more hurting, no more pain. We will be in heaven with God. Right now, we see Jesus like as in a mirror, kind of dimly. We don't, we don't see everything we should. There will be a day where we see Jesus Christ face to face. And we know him fully. No more weakness of our flesh, no more struggles, no more hurting. We know him fully. We look forward to the day where we don't live in a world that's broken and scarred by sin anymore. But it's heaven. It's perfection. So Paul's like, I count everything else as loss in light of the surpassing value of knowing Christ Jesus the Lord. Jesus who has saved me, who's justified me by his work. Jesus who is growing Paul away from those sinful tendencies of our, our past and he's teaching us to walk in righteousness, leading us away from the path of destruction and to the path of life. And Paul's looking forward to one day glorification 
where we're with God in heaven, not separated from God, not spending eternity in eternal torment in a place called hell, but we're with him in heaven and we know him fully. The single greatest investment you will ever make in your entire life and the greatest return on investment you'll ever get comes from knowing Christ Jesus the Lord. Husbands, I want to say this to you. The single greatest investment you'll ever make in yourself, in your marriage, or in your children is the work that you do to know Christ Jesus the Lord, to help them know Christ Jesus the Lord like nothing else matters. Like if they, if they do the thing, they, they work hard in school and they get the scholarship or they're excellent in athletics and they you know, get a little bit of money and they get a degree and they get married. Nothing else will matter if they don't ultimately come to know Christ Jesus the Lord, the single greatest gift you will ever give to yourself, to your family, to your kids, and anyone else in your circle is knowing Christ Jesus the Lord. Moms... I know you love your kids, you love your husband, and you care for them. Women have a way of nurturing. It's really clear in my household, like the kids get hurt. I'm like, ah, come here, and they run past me, and they go to my wife. Like, she's just more gifted that. The single greatest gift you will ever give to your husband, your family, and the people that you love and care about is you knowing Christ Jesus the Lord and you teaching others to do the same. This is the greatest investment we will ever so I want to give you just four, four things that come with that. Four encouragements as you seek to know Christ Jesus the Lord. Number one, let me encourage you to do this every single day. Around here, we use the language, we call it devoting daily. Where you get up every single morning, you, you set aside time every single evening to spend time in God's Word and in prayer, walking by the Spirit. But again, that's not the only time you seek after God, but you instead, you devote yourself to Him daily like, hey, Jesus, I'm taking up my cross. I'm going to follow you. I want you to use me for your glory today. That's an everyday thing. It's an ongoing habit. As you sow those seeds of knowing Christ Jesus, the Lord, that begin to bear fruit in your life, you get to experience the abundance, not just, hey, I I got saved and then I stopped and maybe one day I'll, I'll like experience like good stuff in heaven, but we can begin to live victorious lives today, walking with Jesus, sowing and reaping. So we sow that we might know Christ every single day. The second thing I would encourage you to do is to regularly examine your priorities, that you would look and just know that over time, you are not going to drift toward the pursuit of Jesus. You're not going to drift toward Christ-likeness. As a matter of fact, everything in this life, our, our entire culture, everything is going to push you not toward Jesus, but away from him. When I was a kid, we went on Mexico mission trips. And the highlight of our trip was we would go to the market sometimes. And... Uh, you go through, and there were always these vendors there on the street, and they all wanted to sell you something, and it all seemed kind of desirable, you know, but I only had so much money, and so I would go in, and, hey, you know, like, here's a, a beaded bracelet or a hat or a blanket or whatever it might be, and they're all just trying to sell, sell me something because they ultimately wanted to get my money. Now, they were doing it for good purposes as far as I know, but the same thing happens in our lives as we go throughout our days. The world is constantly trying to sell you something, saying, hey, this is worth it. And pursue this, chase after this, run after this thing, look at the life that you could have. 
But the single greatest investment you will ever make in your entire life is in knowing Christ Jesus Lord. And we've got to regularly examine it. Am I actually seeking after Christ? Is the way I'm spending my time and my money and my energy? Is it to know Christ? Or am I chasing after the things that won't produce the return that I'd like to receive? The third thing is expect resistance. Jesus did say, I've come that I have life and have it to the fullest. Jesus, he, he went to the cross for that. He sent his Holy Spirit like, into us that we might live that. But at the same time, Jesus also said, the enemy has come to steal, to kill, and to destroy. And so just be aware, we have an enemy that wants to lead you down the path of destruction. Every single day, every single choice, the enemy's like, hey, go this way. The Spirit's leading you another. So expect resistance. The third thing is anticipate your reward. Man, look forward to the day that you're in heaven and your children are there with you. Your friends and your coworkers, they're there with you. We look forward to the day where we know Christ like fully, where we see him face to face. We expect a reward, and not just one day in heaven, but we also expect a reward in this life. We know that as we follow after Jesus Christ, like God is working all of that for our good, for our, our victory, for our joy. So we anticipate our reward.